Chapter Eight of Isaac Bickerstaff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isaac Bickerstaff, physician and astrologer, by Richard Steele. Chapter Eight: Love and Sorrow. From my own apartment, October seventeenth. After the mind has been employed on contemplation suitable to its greatness it is unnatural to run into sudden mirth or levity but we must let the soul subside as it rose by proper degrees my late considerations of the ancient heroes impressed a certain gravity upon my mind which is much above the little gratification received from starts of humour and fancy and threw me into a pleasing sadness in this state of thought i have been looking at the fire and in a pensive manner written upon the great misfortunes and calamities incident to human life among which there are none that touch so sensibly as to those which befall persons who eminently love and meet with fatal interruptions of their happiness when the least expect it the pity of children to parents and the affection of parents to their children are the effects of instinct but the affection between lovers and friends is founded on reason and choice which has always made me think of the sorrows of the latter much more to the pity than those to the former the contemplation of distresses of this sort softens the mind of man and makes the heart better it extinguishes the seeds of envy and ill-will towards mankind corrects the pride of prosperity and beats down all that fierceness and insolence which are apt to get into the minds of the unfortunate for this reason the wise athenians in their theoretical performances laid before the eyes of the people the greatest afflictions which could befall human life and insensibly polish their tempers by such representations among the moderns indeed there has arisen a chimble method of disposing the fortune of the persons represented according to which they call poetical justice and letting none be unhappy but those who deserve it in such cases an intelligent spectator if he is concerned knows he ought not to be so and can learn nothing from such a tenderness but that he is a weak creature whose passions cannot follow the dictates of his understanding it is very natural when one is got into such a way of thinking to recollect the examples of sorrow which have made the strongest impression of our imaginations an instance of two of such you will give me leave to communicate a young gentleman and lady of ancient and honourable houses in cornwall had from their childhood entertained for such other for a genius and notable passion which had been long opposed by their friends by reason of inequality of their fortunes but the clemency to each other and obedience to those on whom they depended wrought so much upon their relations that these celebrated lovers were at length joining into marriage soon after their nuptials, the bridegroom was obliged to go into a foreign country and take care of a 
considerable fortune which was left by him a relation and came very opportunely to improve their moderate circumstances the he received the congratulations of all the country on this occasion and i remember it was as common sentence in every one's mouth you see how faithful love is rewarded he took this agreeable voyage and sent home every post fresh accounts of his success in his affairs abroad but at last though he designed to return with the next ship he lamented in his letters that business would detain him some time longer from because he would give himself the pleasure of an unexpected arrival the young lady after the heat of the day walked every evening on the seashore near which she lived with a familiar friend her husband's kinswoman and diverted herself with what objects they met there or upon discourses of the future methods of life and the happy change of their circumstances they stood one evening on the shore together in a perfect tranquillity observing the setting of the sun the calm face of the deep and the silent heaving of the waves which gently rolled towards them and broke at their feet when at a distance her kinswoman saw something float on the waters which she fancied was a chest and with a smile told her she saw it first and if it came ashore full of jewels she had a right to it they both fixed their eyes upon it and entertained themselves with the subject of the wreck the cousin still asserting her right but promising if it was a prize to give her a very rich coral for the child which she was then expecting provided she be might be godmother their mirth soon abated when they observed upon the nearer approach that it was a human body the young lady who had a heart naturally filled with pity and compassion made melancholy reflections on the occasion knows she said but this man may be the only hope in the hair of the wealthy house the darling of indulgent parents who are now in impertinent mirth and pleasing themselves with the thoughts of offering him a bride they had got ready for him or may he not be the master of the fact that wholly depended upon his life there may for aught we know be a half a dozen fatherless children and a tender wife now exposed to poverty by his death what pleasure might have promised himself in the difference welcome that he was to have from her and them but let us go away it is a dreadful sight the best office we can do is to take care that poor man whoever he is may be decently buried she turned away when the way through the carcass on the shore the kinswoman immediately shrieked out oh my cousin and fell upon the ground happy wife went to help her friend when she saw her own husband at her feet and dropped in a swoon over the body an old woman who had been the gentleman's nurse came out about this time to call the ladies into supper and found her child as she always called him dead on the shore her mistress and kinswoman both lying dead by him her loud lamentous and calling her young master to life soon awaked the friend from her trance 
but the wife was gone for ever. When the family and neighborhood got round the bodies, no one asked any question, but the objects before them told a story. Incidents of this nature are the more moving when they are drawn by persons and concerned in the catastrophe, notwithstanding they are often oppressed beyond the power of giving them a in a distinct light, except we gather their sorrow from their inability to speak it. Of two original letters, written both on the same day, which are to me exquisite in their different kinds, the occasion was this. A gentleman who had courted a most agreeable young woman, and won her heart, obtained also the consent of her father, to whom she was an old. The old man had a fancy that they should be married in the same church where he himself was, in a village in Westmoreland, and made them set out while he was laid up with the gout at London. The bridegroom took only his man, the bride her maid. They had made the most agreeable journey imaginable to the place of marriage, from whence the bridegroom read the following letter to his wife's father. Sir, after a very pleasant journey hither, we are preparing for the happy hour in which I am to be your son. I assure you the bride carries it, in the eye of the vicar who married you, much beyond her, though she says you're upon sleeves, pantaloons, and shoulder knot made a much better show in the initial dress I am in. However, I am contented to be the second fine man this village ever saw, and shall make it very merry for night, because I shall write myself from thence. Your most dutiful son, T.D. March 18th, 1672. The bride gives her duty, as is handsome as an angel. I am the happiest man breathing. The villagers were assembling about the church, and the happy couple took a walk in a private garden. The bridegroom's man knew his master would leave the place on the sudden after the wedding, and, seeing him draw his pistols the night before, took this opportunity to go into his chamber and charge him. Upon their return from the garden, they went into that room, and, after a little fond raillery on the subject of their courtship, the lover took up a pistol, which he knew he had unloaded the night before, and, presenting it to her with the most graceful air, whilst she looked pleased at his agreeable flattery, No, madam, repent of all those cruelties you have been guilty of to me. Consider before you die how often you have made a poor wretch freeze under the your casement, you shall die, you tyrant, you shall die, with all those instruments of death and destruction about you, with the enchanting smile, those killing ringlets of your hair. Give fire, she said, laughing. He did so, and shot her dead. Who can speak his condition? But he bore it so patiently as to call upon his man. The poor wretch entered, and his master locked the door upon him. Will, said he, did you charge these pistols? He answered, Yes, upon which he shot him dead with that remaining. After this, amidst a thousand broken sobs, piercing groans, and distracted motions, 
he read the following letter to the father's dead mistress sir i who two hours ago told you truly i was the happiest man alive am now the most miserable your daughter lies dead at my feet killed by my hand through a mistake of my man's charging my pistols unknown to me him i have murdered for it such is my wedding day i will immediately follow my wife to her grave but before i throw myself upon my sword i command my distraction so far as to explain my story to you i fear my heart will not keep together till i have stabbed it poor good old man remember he that killed your daughter died for it the article of death i give you my thanks and pray for you though i dare not myself if it be possible do not curse me End of chapter 8 Read by Elijah Fisher